Good morning, Vintage. Uh, my name is Matt, as Ben introduced, and I am the Youth and Young Adult Coordinator here at Vintage Church. It's so glad to be with you this morning. Um, it feels kind of weird. Thank you for the introduction, Ben. Um, it's a, it was a long time ago that I first met Ben, and it's such a privilege to be here with you all this morning. Normally, I'd be upstairs with our high schoolers or our middle schoolers, probably about to play a game or maybe even to read the Bible. But uh, alas, I'm here with you all, so it's good to be here with you guys this morning. As you can tell, I'm from England. I'm not from Australia, which I know a few of you were probably wondering. Um, I studied psychology at college before I came out here. Uh, I love people. I love what goes on in people's minds. And it's, yeah, it's such a privilege to be with you this morning. After that, I worked in the head office of a large retail company. And then in February 2019, I got a text from Ben that said, would you like to be my intern in LA? And the answer to that question was a rather big no. Uh, we all know how that one ended. And then in August 2019, I moved out here uh, to join Vintage Church and to help plant Vintage Pasadena. But enough about me. This morning, we're continuing our series in Ephesians, looking at God's vintage church. Last week, Ben painted a kind of picture of what the church looked like. And this morning, I want to look at the ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us to become like a vintage wine. So the book of Ephesians is God's agenda, his goal to heal humanity into a new community and into a new family. And I want to paint this picture this morning that the church is like a vintage wine. And God is the winemaker, the vineyard owner, and we are born again into his family. We're brought together and we're bottled into his church. That over time, God is cultivating us, he's maturing us, and he's growing us into his vintage. The church is to be God's vintage wine, to have the flavors and the aroma of Jesus and it's also God's desire that we mature into a church that tastes, smells, feels, and looks just a little bit like Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ has a distinct flavor profile. It is to be three things. It's to enjoy the presence of Jesus. It's to be like Jesus. And it's to do the things that Jesus did. And that's pretty exciting, right? That's exactly what we need. And more importantly, that's what this city needs too. The church has lost a rather large amount of credibility over the last few years. Many of us have probably tasted that, and it's been pretty challenging. The church has looked a little bit more like a bad restaurant or a two-buck chuck, as Ben spoke about last week. That bottle of wine that's kind of down here on the shelf that no one wants to drink, barely even look at. But there's been a crisis of confidence within the church. People have been mocking. They've been abandoning the church. And the reason for that is because it doesn't seem to be anything like Jesus. And the beautiful thing with God is that this isn't the end of the story. That a church overflowing with the presence of God is just like Jesus. In love, in joy, in humility, in authenticity. And a church that does the things that Jesus did, it pursues justice, it goes after healing, it proclaims the good news. So last week we talk, talked about the questions of how. And we have to recognize that there's a gap between who God desires us to be and who we are. 
How do we as a community become more like God's vintage church and not that $2 bottle of wine on the bottom shelf? How do we close the gap between who we are and being like Jesus? How can we see God's way of moving us into the people that we long to be? Ephesians, the the book was written by Paul. The place he was writing to was a place called Ephesus. It was a a little bit like L.A., a lot of people searching for something. It was a trading hub of the world at that point. And Paul in this book lays out his instructions to be who we are, to help us to mature into God's vintage church. Unlike other books, there isn't a specific thing that Paul is going after. He's just setting a vision of maturity. And the one thing as we unpack this passage today that I want us to keep being reminded of is that change is possible, but not inevitable. Let me say that again. Change is possible, but not inevitable. So I want us to think about what we can, do, can be doing to be transformed into Jesus, to be transformed further into his likeness. And the beautiful thing is that God's original purpose for us was to make us in community. We see that in Genesis 2, verse 18. It is not good for man to be alone. God calls us in together to be a community of people that honor him. The Lord has chosen each one of you, to be the disciples on the face of the earth and to be his people. Ephesians as a book sets out memorable terms. It sets out vivid pictures. It sets out practical consequences of what God has done in Christ. With the essence of church life, but also this sense of community, this sense of togetherness and not I. Just want to invite Carla up to do our reading this morning. I'm going to be reading Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Amazing. Thank you so much for reading that, Carla. Um, Let's pray together before we begin. Father God, we just invite you into this space as we talk about transformation today. May we be ever reminded that your spirit is continually moving and working powerfully within us. And I pray that this passage from Ephesians would just help to open our eyes within our hearts and further towards you this morning. Amen. So the first note that I wanted to make from the passage that Carla so greatly read for us 
is that Paul prays to the Father. What we have to recognize is that Paul knows we need God to do this. We have to do it with God. We can't try hard on our own or with our own king, recognizing that God is the winemaker and the vineyard owner. Let's look at what he prays in verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit. God's strategy for this is Holy Spirit change. God's strategy for our life is that the Holy Spirit would come in and help us. And this is awesome. This is something we need to be excited about, that God gives us the Spirit. That maturity in Christ comes by the work of the Spirit of God that the Spirit of God comes alongside us, helps to change us and to transform us. But it's surprising what he then prays. He doesn't say, I'm going to give you the Spirit to make you more joyful, more peaceful, more humble and more forgiving. Not this sudden zap and you'll all be changed. But nor does he say, I give you the Spirit to change your circumstances, to make you more peaceful, more joyful, more humble and more forgiving. He is looking for transformation that does not rely on good circumstances. Which is kind of like Jesus, as we found out in the story of Easter. Jesus didn't rely on good circumstances to rise again, but what he did rely on is the power of God in his difficult circumstances. Talking about being filled with the Spirit, we had baptisms here last week. We had baptisms exactly where I'm stood right now. And we recognize that baptism is the beginning of a spiritual journey, that the Holy Spirit is filling each person who got baptized to go out and do his will. But there was a reason why people got baptized right here in front of all of you. And the reason for that is because of community, because the Holy Spirit is filling us all in a community space. We, we could have done it upstairs in one of the high school or the middle school rooms, but we chose to do it here because community is incredibly powerful. And that's where the spirit longs to dwell. Let's look at what he prays, continuing on in verse 17. It may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So this is knowledge that's moving from our head down to our heart. And Paul here is praying that the Spirit would reveal something to you, that the Spirit would open the eyes of your heart. Paul is recognizing that it isn't knowledge alone that's going to change you, that head knowledge isn't going to mature us into God's vintage church. And this next bit, I'm talking specifically to the Christians here, but if you're just searching or exploring, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning, and I hope that you can take something away from my talk. But if you're a Christian and you know God and you follow Jesus and you believe in him, Paul is praying for more than that. He's praying for a new movement of knowledge from our head to our heart. And he's recognizing that true transformation requires that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened to who God is so that we can live into the Revelation 22 passage that talks about the curses being broken and that we can be transformed and changed into his heart. And talking of the heart, biblically the heart is the control center of the entire self. 
that the desires of our heart, the source of dreams and the decisions all come through the heart. The heart can be the source of our core commitments, our deepest loves, our primary motivations. We often think that the mind determines who we are, but to actually change and be transformed, we have to dig deeper into the desires of our heart. Paul is saying that if you want deep, meaningful change, it's going to happen in your heart. There's that famous phrase, you are what you love. And the things that we love drive us. They motivate us. They inspire us. They propel us. They define us. They shape us. And they move us. And we have to recognize that the eyes of our heart need to be enlightened and to see a truth in a particular way that penetrates our heart. God wants us to be so gripped by something that it changes us as a whole person, that it changes us from the inside out, that, it allowed, that this change allows us to form further into the person of Jesus, that it may allow us to feel more deeply like the person of Jesus, that we may not only understand it cognitively, but also emotionally too. Emotionally too. That phrase, break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord. That knowledge moving down from our head into our heart. That causes behavioral change that causes us to have different actions and different perspectives towards situations. That this moment of movement from head to heart makes us who we are as humans and helps us to recognize the power of who we are and the power of emotions. And what Paul wants us to recognize here is that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened by him. That sometimes it feels easier to have all the knowledge in our heads and just to be consumed by the understanding, but not excited by the formation of the heart. And are we truly prepared for this level of transformation? Are we ready? Are we ready to be in that moment where truth moves from our head to our heart? That I see it now, that eureka moment. Joe is a friend from my youth group who I've known since middle school. We grew up together, we had fun together through the years, and we both went our separate ways to college. We'd come back at Christmas, at Easter, at summer, and he'd tell us all the things that God was doing in his life. It was amazing to hear the stories of change through his community, of what God was doing through his church. His church was giving him new leadership positions. His church was inspiring him to hang out together, to be transformed, to be changed. And each time he'd come back, he'd share something more of what God was done, has done in his life and what God was doing. And it was amazing to see this knowledge move from his head into his heart. Through the power of community, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through being together with one another and through the power of church. And the other thing with Holy Spirit transformation that we have to recognize is that experience matters. I was privileged uh, for the first two years of my time in LA to live with a family here. I could use a whole host of Christian buzzwords to describe them. I could call them intentional, kind, loving, hospitable, all of these things. And all of these things were true to me, but they may not be true to you until you have an experience or an understanding. You might have a one-off moment, a one-off lovely meal, a one-off kind moment. 
but there's something about the experience and the consistency that they chose to love me, despite the absolute mess in my bedroom, despite all of the mess that I would bring into their lives. And I had no real ability to love them back. My only ability was to be who I was, to say thank you, to let them know how much I appreciated them. I could have tried to have cooked for them, but I would have made a terrible mess in their kitchen too. And there's so much power in consistency, and there's so much power in what the Holy Spirit chooses to do in our lives. And I'm not saying by any means that family was perfect, and they did an amazing job of loving me during that time. But what I want us all to be aware of today is that the Holy Spirit consistently changes us, consistently moves us, and consistently gives us an experience of what we need of God. I grew up as a Christian, we went to church, we worshipped together. When I was 10 years old, my dad became a pastor. He was a scientist first, but that's a story for another day. Uh, We sung all the songs in church. We enjoyed church as children growing up. And by the time I was a teenager, I understood the factual knowledge of who God was, but I don't feel like I really knew him. Every year as a youth group, we would go to a youth gathering. We'd gather together in this massive tent in the middle of the field with 10,000 teenagers. It was so much fun. We had a blast every year. We would see God do amazing things, transformational things, healing things. We'd see his power come down in such graceful, kind, and loving ways. And every year I'd come away wondering, where is God now? After experiencing him so tangibly, after finding him in those moments, I would get home and I'd be like, oh man, why isn't he this way? Why aren't you like this all the time, God? And my youth pastor sat me down and I I voiced this to him. I was like, man, where, where is this God of this tent? And he said to me, that the God of this tent is the God of your life. Let me say that again. The the God of this tent is the God of your life. That that power of God that I experienced in that tent, when it felt like it was real, when it felt like there was nothing else, I could feel it tangibly every day. And 15-year-old Matt just wanted the experience. That's what I was in for. I absolutely loved it. It was fun with my mates. It was amazing seeing God at work. But what God really wanted was consistency. He wanted me to press in every day to find times, to find moments with him, to press into community, to press into family. And as I got older, I realized that. I realized that what God really wanted from me was my time and my consistency And the beautiful thing of how God has transformed us, how God chooses to transform us, transforms us, is that he takes who you are in Jesus and he brings that to life. Jesus says in John 16 that the Holy Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from you what is mine and making it known to you. The phrase making it known to you indicates a momentous announcement, a declaration that grabs attention. And that's what the psalmist says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that's the key to change, right? 
not trying too hard, allowing God to form us into the person of Jesus. And it's not necessarily a change in our circumstances that's going to do it, but allowing God to take who we are and to mold and transform that. I have a friend who's a soccer coach. He used to coach at a professional team. He's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant soccer coach. He loves the game. He loves coaching. And what God did in his life was he took what he loved and he allowed that to be more focused on him. He took his love for the game of soccer and he launched this nonprofit, which bridges the gap between churches and communities. It allows young men to come and play soccer together to enjoy the community of God and eventually go on an alpha course together to enjoy the community and the things that many of us really enjoy here, but through the medium of soccer. And you see, with my friend, what God didn't do is God didn't wipe the site clean. He didn't go, Tristan, I don't want you to be any of that. I'm going to transform you into something totally different. But what he does is he takes what we love and he takes us into that place to allow us to be transformed into what he wants us to be. And what we have to recognize is that transformation is a byproduct of experiencing the full riches of who we are in Christ. And that we are changed when the Spirit brings into our heart an experience of his love, his goodness, his mercy, his hope, his forgiveness, his protection, his sovereignty, his power, his creativity. And renewal and transformation comes when truth comes to life. So I want to invite us to look at this chart together that Jacinta's going to throw up on the screens. Here it comes. There it is. So as you can see, on the y-axis, we have dead to life. And on the x-axis, we've got heresy to truth. So I'm just going to talk through the graph quickly. On the bottom left, we have dormant truth. This is truth that is factually correct, but doesn't look like Jesus. This is a world where it's true, but it's not alive, and it's got nothing to do with Jesus. We might have been in those spaces where it feels true, where logically it makes sense, but it feels dead. It doesn't live, it doesn't breathe, it doesn't move from our head to our heart. It's just academic knowledge. And then in the top right-hand corner, we have emotionalism. This is where what we feel trumps who God is. And it's not that what we feel doesn't matter. Emotion is not bad. God wants that. God wants us to have emotion, but it has to be grounded in what is true. We've all been in those places where there's an amazing sense of buzz connected to the Holy Spirit. My old pastor used to say that we don't hype the Spirit up. He comes down to us. And we've all been in those places where it feels incredible, where there's people weeping, where we're on our knees. But is it actually connected to transformation? Do we just go home the same? So when we talk about revival transformation in the top left-hand corner of this graph, this is when our hearts are open, when it's twinned with the amazing truth of who God is and the living Holy Spirit. That's when things begin to change. We have to recognize that it's by truth and life and word and spirit that all these things come together. 
And even within our own prayer ministry team, we aim to be bound in truth. We aim our words of, our words of knowledge to come either from the Bible or to be related to those things. And what we have to recognize is that truth to life is recognizing a Holy Spirit living within us and that truth comes together in a powerful way to transform us. But all of these things up on this graph may look like transformation. They can all look like suddenly something's changed, like suddenly something may have moved. But often, it isn't real transformation from our head to our hearts. So Paul, later on in Ephesians, um, prays this, and he says, to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Fullness, the root word in Greek, is panoma, or pleroma. I've said that totally wrong. Someone can clarify that later. Um, And what it means in the Greek is it means fullness. It means to be filled. And for, for us, Paul uses it in the Bible in Acts 2. He uses it to describe the infilling of the Holy Spirit in those moments. He uses it 17 times throughout the New Testament. But what I want us all to recognize is that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are filled with Christ. We're filled with his embodiment his fullness which he supplies to us as the church. And that we have to emphasize the thoroughness with which the church is a receptacle of his powers and represents him on earth. Yes, he chooses you and I to represent him on earth because we are filled with him. We are filled with his power. So the question I have for you this morning is, how does the Holy Spirit open our eyes? Is there a sudden moment or a gradual moment? And we can see that sometimes enlightenment is an instant, that the light turns on, that suddenly we're shocked and we're blinded, and we can see who he is. We see that with Paul on the road to Damascus, that sudden, dramatic moment of change. And that's the way we want it, right? We want all our stuff that's over here that sucks that we don't want anymore and we want to give it to God over here and suddenly it all be changed. And that's the way society wants it, right? We can get everything instantly from Amazon Prime, from all hosts of things. We can just get it straight away, that instant change. And I'm not saying that God doesn't work in that way. I truly believe he does. And that change from A to Z, that sudden moment. And often the Holy Spirit will throw us into the deep end with sudden moments that involve freedom, that involve healing, that involve encountering his love with dramatic things. But what I want to recognize this morning is that more often than not, it can be gradual. It can be a lifelong change. Similarly to a slow morning sunrise, that it can slowly dawn on us and that for deep character change, he will slowly open the eyes of our heart. 
I was at one of those conferences that I mentioned earlier. The pastor stood up on stage and he said, if you're feeling something in your hands, then stand up with me. And I, this is normally how I felt God. And I was sat there and I was like, oh man, it's me again. And then the pastor repeated himself. He said, if you can feel it in your hands, you should stand up. And I was always the reluctant kid. I was never really that bothered. And there was a part of me that was probably always too scared of what God might do. So I stood up in that moment and this stranger came and prayed for me. He kind of put his hands on mine like this. And he told me that my hands would build God's kingdom here on earth. And it was one of those wild moments where God used a stranger to speak powerfully into my life. And it was weird because at the time it didn't feel like anything. I wrote it down in my journal when I got back to my tent. And I didn't really think that much of it. And then I kind of have carried that with me over the last 10 years. And I've recognized that throughout these different years, that God has really come alongside me through different communities who have loved, who have prayed for me, who have really listened to me, to who I am, to allow me to put my identity firmly into him and not into performance or a popularity. And the beauty of all of that is it's not about me. It's about what God's been up to. It's about what God's been able to do. And the beauty of what I'm able to do now is to walk alongside some of our students, to grab coffee with them, to listen to them, to love on them, and to see the power of God and the power of community work through them too. And a few things that I'd love to take away from over that journey for me is that curiosity in Jesus has been the key. Trying to figure out who he is, who really is Jesus. To run that race that Paul talks about in Philippians 4, that race of endurance. It hasn't always been easy. It might look easy from where you're sat, but it's been a long and windy road. And the other thing I want us to recognize with transformation is that it's scary. There can be so many moments of change that we look back on and we go, I was absolutely terrified. When I was flying out to LA, I was sat on the plane and I was speaking to the passenger next to me. And I'm sorry I'm that guy, but it probably won't surprise many of you. And we were chatting for a couple of hours. Crazy. Um, yeah, and then the, the journey kind of fizzled away. We put our headphones on and this absolute feeling of fear came upon me. That recognition that I was flying into a whole new world that I didn't know what it was going to be like, that it was going to be so totally outside of my comfort zone. But as part of change, it was an invitation, and God's invitation to push in deeply, and that the same God of that tent was the God of that plane, that God of peace. And part of that involves us being vulnerable about how we feel, about what we need to be transformed and changed into. We've all got those things buried deep within us that we don't like to talk about. The things of challenge, the things of difficulty, the thing that God wants to meet us in and come alongside us. A lot of that will happen through community and through the power of God within us. 
And the beautiful thing about God is it's a partnership together. And the more amazing thing is it isn't a 50-50 partnership. It's a joint effort with God, but God is doing all the heavy lifting. And it's down to us to create the conditions in our lives for the Spirit to continually open up the eyes of our heart and to do a deep work of God in our life. It is down to us to turn up, to show up, and to be ready to do what God wants. So how then, how do we as a community come together to be transformed and to be changed? Part of that is posture. Part of that is coming in and knowing that that's what God wants, using moments and opportunities that when we come together, we are ready to be changed. Whether a small bit or a lot, as we come together, let's recognize that. And also, I want to challenge you today with how do we live each day by making space for him? How do we have that posture of togetherness and that unity under Christ? I've got a whole list of things that we do as a church written in my notes, teaching, prayer, ministry, kingdom comes, groups, moments and times that we come together as a church and as a body. And there's a whole load of spiritual practices. You can look them up online. I am hilariously bad at silence and solitude, which again won't surprise anyone. But as I press into those moments, I realize that God does meet me there. But as I spoke about in the start, that the message for Ephesians was not to a single person, but to us as a community. So how do we come together? How do we lean in? And I want us to encourage us to lean in, particularly in those moments of suffering, in those moments where we feel like there might be potential breakthrough. And I want us all to recognize that God in his awesome ways helps us to become the body of Christ. That as each one of us as individuals comes more alive in the Holy Spirit, as we experience his gifts and the gifts that he's given us, it's the bringing of all that together that creates a vintage community. And it's bigger than the pastors of this church, the board of this church. It requires all of us individually to come together to paint a picture of all our different experiences, our theology, our understanding of who God is, and to paint together a beautiful collage of the church that each of us in our own way can experience the resurrection power of Jesus, that we can each press in in our own way, but also together, that we all want the same outcome of being more like Jesus. So as I close today, I want us to recognize that God is maturing us as a community into his vintage church. I want us all to recognize that change is possible but not inevitable. We will have to play a part. We will have to do something to be involved in this, to be matured, to be changed. But also to recognize that God is doing the heavy lifting. That God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us where we are, but he invites us to be transformed and to be changed into him. That God wants the eyes of our heart to be opened and positioned towards him. Let's pray. So Father God, we, we thank you that as a church we can come together that we can meet together, that we can be together, that we can be matured into your 
Holy Spirit. So we pray as we come to a time of response, you'd help us to see the ways in which we can press more into you maturing us as a body, but also as individuals, Father. We thank you that you're a God of love that works through relationships. So we pray that you'd help us to press in and to be further matured into the image of Jesus. Amen.